0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that builds biographical bridges between our guests and you with the help of songs that have become entwined with their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Connery. Our guest today is Jim Hale. Jim and his late wife Sharon moved to Southwest Florida in 2007 after spending their working years in Minnesota. He graduated from Dartmouth College in 1962 and from the University of Minnesota Law School in 1965. He served as a law clerk to Chief Justice Earl Warren at the Supreme Court in 1965 and 1966, where he spent a significant amount of time helping to draft the Miranda opinion. After 13 years with the Minneapolis law firm of Fager & Benson in 1979, Jim joined General Mills as head of its international acquisition team. He then joined Dayton Hudson Corp. in 1981, which was later renamed Target Corp. Where he served as executive vice president, general counsel, and corporate secretary until retiring in 2004. Jim is chair of the WGCU Public Media Advisory Board, which is how we met. But more importantly, he's a parent and a grandparent and a writer and a songwriter and a blues harmonica player for the group Jim Hale & Friends. Hey there, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Mike. Thanks. It's a pleasure to see you again. Thanks for coming in to doing this.
0: Good to be here again.
1: So where did you grow up, and how would you characterize the musical background of your growing up?
0: Sure. That's a big order. I grew up in South Minneapolis in Minnesota, um, and music has been a big part of my life as long as I can remember.
1: Um, were your parents influencing you with music? Was music being played around the house? Did you have siblings that were playing music? Like Describe sort of that whole family scene.
0: Uh, uh, my mom and dad uh, had a regular neighborhood group that would come over once, once a week or once a month, and we had a piano, and they would do sing-alongs around the piano. Uh, my brother played trombone. I played uh, cornet. Badly. Uh, uh, but yeah, there was always music in the
1: house. Um, what Did you play any other instruments? Or was that... It? Well, that... Goes, I know you do more now.
0: Yeah. That, back then, no. Uh, I got into things like harmonica and guitar much, much later.
1: Um, what kind of music were your parents listening to?
0: Well, that, you know, they were a product of the 30s and 40s, so it was, uh, it was a lot of big band music. It was crooners, um, and, uh, but then, the, then they did a lot of uh, folk music. We had a giant book of folk songs in the house they used for sing-alongs.
1: Um, what was the first music that you started to identify yourself with that wasn't from your parents?
0: When I was about four years old, we owned this gigantic Magnavox uh, with a little green eye on it that was mesmerizing. And uh, every afternoon about four o'clock, a local guy named Slim Jim would sing what was back in the day known as Western music. Okay. And he would sing Western songs, and I would sit on the floor and cry.
1: Really? Yep. Why? Well, they were sad. <laughs> they were sad songs. Huh. Um, you play in a band, right? Well, there's a session
0: group that plays together for recording, Yeah. Have
1: you ever done any of the cowboy music? Oh, yeah.
0: We do a lot of Western oh, yeah? music. Sure. Does it
1: make you cry?
0: Uh, <laughs> there are times, yeah, I try to hold off while I'm recording, but there's some pretty sad stuff in country music. Huh.
1: Was well, there any music that you ended up bringing home that your parents were not cool with? You know...
0: Uh, like everybody else in that generation, I got into Elvis and Buddy Holly and, and uh, uh, groups like that. Uh, my parents didn't much listen to it, but they didn't object to it either.
1: Hmm. So you would have been in high school like in the 50s, right? Yes,
0: I graduated from high school in 1958.
1: Wow. So what kind of music were your brothers and sisters playing? Were you younger? Were you older? Were yeah, you I'm influ- the oldest,
0: and I have one, one younger
1: brother. Okay, so your younger brother, did you influence him at all with his musical tastes?
0: I, I guess you'd have to ask him. Uh, you know, We've uh, gone our own way to a certain extent, but the, you know, we grew up with the same influences.
1: When you went away to college, that would have been right at the beginning of the 60s. So what memories do you have about music during that era?
0: Well, uh, I eventually joined a fraternity, at, Which one? I uh, joined Phi Delta. It was not Phi Delta Theta because during uh, that era, uh, there was a dictate that unless they got rid of their racial discrimination clause, they had to get out of the national. So we did. Uh, and when the clause was eliminated, they said, now you can come back. And we said, why? And we just stayed our own local fraternity. Huh. But we regularly had uh, groups come in to play.
1: What would That would have been the early 60s. So what would have been, is that, you know... What would been what? What kind of music was that?
0: Uh, it was primarily uh, rock and roll and some blues. The one that I remember the most clearly is we hired a nineteen-year-old kid named Taj Mahal to come and and uh, sing and play, and he just blew us away. And then. Many decades later, I looked into it, and that's the Taj Mahal who's
1: nationally famous now. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll get more to your college days later, but let's get to your first song first. So, uh, this is the uh, the Willie Nelson song, right? Sure. Um, yes. It's, tell us what it is, and sure. tell us the story. Well, first of all, um,
0: Western music, which later became country Western music, uh, was part of my life all along. Um, You don't think of of Minnesotans as being country Westerners, but we are. We are relentlessly. And very early on, I got hooked on Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. And uh, uh, Willie uh, was just exceptional, and he still is today. I've seen him live. I listen to him all the time. I've got many of his CDs. And I have always rated his Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain as the greatest song that he ever did. Uh, And there's more to that. I mean, you you have to go past my younger years. uh, But in 1984, a friend of mine gave me a harmonica and a book called Harmonica for the Musically Inept. And I spent one whole summer floating around in in an inner tube at our lake home trying to learn (laughs) to play one tune. And it was Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain.
1: Um, Did you figure it out? It took, yeah, yeah. I, I,
0: my brother could play by ear. I could only play a, a notes off of the page, uh, but I finally figured out how to play it by ear.
1: Um, do you still play the harmonica? Oh yeah,
0: I play the harmonica.
1: Here, I've got, I've got a harmonica in my pocket here. Okay, play us a little "Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain." Oh boy, it's, it's clean. It's never been used. No, uh, well,
0: that's all right. Uh, it's a uh, C. Okay, that C is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Very wow, <well> nice. done. <laughs>
1: I'm so glad I brought that. Pam yep. James says, "Is he going to play his harmonica?" And yeah. I said, "I don't know, but I'm going to bring one." <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for bringing it. Uh, okay. Well, you ready to listen to this? Sure. Is there more to the story? Uh, that well, uh, the, the only part of the story is
0: that's what really got me going. Uh, after my years playing mediocre cornet in a high school band into something that I could actually grab onto and contribute to when we're when we're getting together to play.
1: How far from shore were you floating in your inner tube? In other words, were you driving anyone crazy? Uh, you know, I don't think
0: I drove anyone crazy. I've got a, a button box uh, accordion that I play occasionally, and I drive people absolutely nuts with that <laughs> all the way across the lake. But no, I think I was pretty relaxed with uh, with the harmonica.
1: All right. Well, let's listen to this. Uh, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain by Willie Nelson from his 1975 album Red-Headed Stranger. It's Jim Hale's first song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. Blue Eyes Crying It just doesn't get any better than that. It's just so good. It's so soothing and provocative in a way and just thoughtful. And I love the way he plays guitar. I love his sort of lackadaisical way that he doesn't, he plays fewer notes in a way that makes it better.
0: And the experts say that the reason he comes across so differently, he plays on the offbeat rather than on the beat. So it's
1: very difficult to sing along with Willie Nelson. Oh, man. So you said you've seen him live? I've seen him a couple of times live. Did yeah. you see him when they, he came here back uh, in 2020, right oh, before yeah. the pandemic? Yeah, it was his 80th birthday that day. Yep. I was at that show with my daughter, who was 14 at the time. Yeah, Sharon and I were there. Oh, uh, And she was wearing a Willie Nelson shirt that belonged to my father back in the 70s when he did Farm Aid. Oh, terrific. <laughs> it was the full, the full circle. Um, so I want to go back. Before we get to college, I want to go back to high school. So yep. was music important to you in high school? I mean, you were, or, or you were on your way to become a lawyer. So was school more important than music, or where did music fit in? Uh, no, music continued to be tremendously important. And, and and one of the things people
0: don't realize looking back on the fifties is that rock and roll really didn't take off till the very late fifties. Uh, when we would go to school dances, uh, or to say the prom ballroom in in St. Paul to go to dances. It was Guy Lombardo or, uh, or uh, Les Brown and his band in re- of renown. And for our group, until it got near our graduation from high school, if they put on a fast number, we all went and sat down because we didn't know how to do it.
1: Hmm. Do you remember the first song you slow danced to? Uh, yeah, absolutely, I do. Good. What is uh, it? <laughs> good. Uh, it,
0: it, it was Blue Moon. Um, and it was not the Marcel's whoop 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 version. It was the uh, uh, original, and it was uh, it was a classic slow dance
1: song for sock hops in the gym. Sock hops in the gym. Uh, are you a dancer in general? Uh, my wife and I were. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did I you didn't... go to college to become a lawyer, or no. did you wind up becoming a lawyer? No, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Everybody else in my family were
0: psychologists. Um, and they would always uh, send me out to do interest tests. And uh, people don't believe it, but it's true. I once took a test, and the uh, tester said, well, your strongest interest is in becoming a CPA. I never became one because I didn't know what it stood for, and I didn't want (laughs) to ask him. And I, uh, I, I interviewed lawyers as part of a ninth grade project and part of a twelfth grade project. And both times I picked a lawyer who hated his job. Oh, so you were not
1: inclined in that direction. And it
0: wasn't until May of my senior year in college I said, I'm going to law school.
1: Hmm. So why did you end up going to Dartmouth?
0: uh, they heavily recruited in uh, the Midwest for Dartmouth, mostly for hockey players. Um, I wa- I played hockey, but not at the college level. And uh, my dad went there, and my uncle went there, and my cousin went there. Um, but they never really influenced me. My dad was very soft-spoken, and the only thing he ever said, and it was a classic Dartmouth graduate, he said, Son, don't go to Harvard. <laughs> uh,
1: what was your, your time like at Dartmouth in terms of music?
0: Um that, it was great. Uh, again, the fraternity would have music groups. We had uh, music groups come through. For example, I saw Louis Armstrong play live there. Um, and so th- th- there was a lot of music all the way through college. Huh?
1: Do you have any particular musical memories associated with your parents that go, well, way, go it, way back? Yeah,
0: it came, from, it came from the big bands. And, and uh, in 1956, 1957, my absolute favorite was Benny Goodman's 1938 Carnegie Hall jazz concert, and in particular the 11-minute version of Sing, Sing, Sing. And I would play that to hype myself up before I went to go to play in a football game. It's so exciting as a piece of music, and I've bought it three times and worn it out every time on records.
1: So you played football, too? So you played hockey and football? Well, uh, I played basketball and you are tall uh, yeah and,
0: and, and uh, hockey in uh, junior high and concluded i had to do one or another and at six foot three uh, basketball was natural but i played football in the fall and that's why i finally had to give up the cornet because i couldn't play football and be out on the field at halftime playing with the band
1: hmm okay so when you finished college you well. Let's get to your Supreme Court Justice clerking time. How long after college was that, or was that when you were in law school? Oh, that was after law school. Okay, that was after yeah. law school. Yeah, I mean the the story of law
0: school is uh, my wife. Uh, my wife and I were married junior and
1: senior year in college. So you met a, in college. I uh, met in junior high school. Met in junior high school. Right. Was she who you danced to Blue Moon with? Yes. Wow. In eighth grade. Wow. Right.
0: Yep. But I got to May of my senior year in college and a friend came over uh, to our apartment uh, when Sharon and I were there and said, well, what are you going to do next year? And I said, I'm going to law school. And my wife said what? <laughs> I said, I was just about to tell you that. And so then she had to buy into three more years of working to support me through law school. So we came back to Minnesota
1: to law school. And so what, what was law school like? Was that just lots and lots of work like like I would imagine it is? Yeah,
0: it was, um, it, uh, uh, it was uh, case method oriented, which meant you had to read the cases and then you got quizzed on it in class. Um, and uh, it was part of the routine back then, maybe still, but I don't think as much, uh, for the professor to call on you and then browbeat you as much as possible huh. to see if he can make you crack. And one professor called on me, and I tried to explain a case, and he said, Mr. Hale, I think what you're saying is a buttercup is a flower, and therefore all flowers are buttercups. Is that what you mean, Mr. Hale? Um uh, Happily, he hired me to work for him during law school, so we got along all right. But it, uh, the first year is a brutal year in law school.
1: Do you remember what analogy you were trying to make that he, that he turned into buttercups and flowers? I remember buttercups <laughs> and flowers. I have
0: no recollection of the point I was trying to make.
1: So after law school then, you went to be a clerk for yep. Supreme Court Chief Justice yep. Earl Warren, Dur- Warren during the Miranda years, right? Yes,
0: that's correct. How did that come about? Uh it happened that uh, the chief justice had a small group of former clerks, one uh, in Minnesota, one in California, and one in Washington, D.C., that he used to vet potential candidates. And a professor that I had at the University of Minnesota was one of those clerks. And he was the one who led the uh, led the pitch that I uh, that the chief should consider me as a law clerk.
1: Did you have to like – interview? Did you have to go or did you... Nope.
0: I didn't meet him until uh, until after I went to work. What was that
1: like? Well, uh, it was could've... it Was he intimidating? No.
0: It could have been terrifying, but he was an absolutely affable, wonderful, thoughtful man and uh, took his job very, very seriously. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, these are men in their 60s and 70s and 80s putting in 10... Eleven-hour days and then working Saturdays to to churn out the work of the court, but no, he was a he, he was very approachable.
1: It's going to be a weird question, but do you have any musical memories associated with your time clerking? Uh, you know the 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 thing I
0: remember then is that we were living just outside of Washington D.C. Uh, and rock, particularly in that hour, uh, uh area had gotten very hard. Um, we hadn't gotten to heavy metal or anything like that. And so to the extent I had moved away from country western toward rock, that year in Washington, I shifted back to finding a country western station.
1: Hmm. So you were there during the Miranda decision. Correct. Can you just kind of explain that time and your role in that? Um, I've talked to you on our you know, radio show, Gulf Coast Life, so I kind of know the story, but kind of share that story with our listeners because sure. it's really interesting. Sure. Uh, the Supreme Court is not
0: required to take very many cases. Mostly, they're, uh, they're discretionary. And in 1964, the court had decided a case called uh, Escobedo and- Danny Escobedo had been held in a police station and interrogated continuously. And from time to time, he asked if he couldn't have a lawyer, and they ignored him. When that case got to the Supreme Court, the court ruled that the Constitution gives him a right to a lawyer, and when he asks for one, it has to be given to him. So then the question the court knew that they had to face up to is, well, what about the person who's in the same situation who has a right to a lawyer but doesn't know to ask for one? And so uh, we were asked to look specifically to find a case that would pose that issue. So we spent uh, uh, long periods of time going through lots of petitions to try to find cases that would pose that issue. Then a lot of time um, drafting memoranda for the chief justice to consider how that case ought to be decided and obviously it's the judges who make the decisions but we help write the, the opinions.
1: So obviously pretty much any case that winds up before the Supreme Court is an important case if it makes it that far but yes. this one is sort of a f- foundational case in our judicial system. Did you realize that as it was happening or was it just the case you were working
0: on? No, oh no, we knew that
1: that was, okay. I knew
0: it. That was a big case and and uh, my co-clerk even uh, lobbied the Chief Justice saying you know this is an important Enough, case chief, you probably ought to write it yourself, meaning he he wanted us to work on it. And he was right. I mean, it it, it had to have as much gravitas as possible. It ended up being a 5-4 decision, but written by the chief
1: justice. Do you have any idea if any of the justices of the Supreme Court play music while they're in their offices? I don't have the faintest (laughs) idea. Uh, I I do
0: know that the chief justice was a, a great sports fan, and uh, at one, uh, the year we were there, the Minnesota Twins played the Los Angeles Dodgers in the World Series. And I was from Minnesota, and another clerk was from Los Angeles. And one time he said, "Men, I have a portable radio in my office, and if you want to come listen, you can. We didn't have the guts to tell him that we had rented a television station, and we were watching it live
1: upstairs in our offices. That's so funny. Um, okay, well let's get to your second song, and then we'll sure. get to your post Supreme Court Justice clerking times a- after it. Uh, this is the uh, which is um, uh, the Warren Zev How do you say Zavon? Zavon. You know, I've never said that out loud. Okay. So uh, this is the Warren Zavon song. So what's the story and what's the song? Okay. Well, the song is "Send Lawyers Guns and Money," uh, and when that song came out, uh,
0: I was general counsel at Target, uh, at which meant I was the chief lawyer, lawyer for the Corporation, and I had a group of people working for me with me uh, in the law department, plus outside lawyers, um, and and we prided ourselves on the fact that we made every effort to make sure that a uh, a job or a lawsuit or an acquisition or a divestiture uh, or defending against a hostile takeover, we were there for them, and so that any time. Uh, they wanted our help, they would send for lawyers, not necessarily guns and money. Um, and so at one point, we picked that as the theme song of the law department and actually created a booklets about us where the heading was, said Lawyers, Guns, and Money.
1: Did you play it around the office? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. So you guys had music playing around the office. Uh, I, um, uh,
0: we had an empty office for a period of years in the law department, and um, I dubbed it the NCO club uh, which is a military term but it was uh, it stood for newly created opportunities and huh. lawyers aren't known for being terribly creative but this is one where I said here's a place to go listen to music sit in beanbag chairs and think creatively about how to solve problems And so, yeah we had a lot of music
1: going there and this would have been in the early days of what we now know as target right uh, well, not the very early days, but Target was founded in 1962,
0: and I went to uh, I went to work for uh, Target in the 80s.
1: And why was your law uh, offices empty? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I Seems like that's why I assumed it was in the early days. But yeah. uh, no, I, I, it it was a conference room, uh,
0: and the reason I said it was an empty office is eventually, sadly, as the department grew, we had to turn that into uh, lawyer offices and the and the NCO club. Disappeared, but it was a part of our
1: culture for a long time. That's so funny. So, the guys that you worked with there, if they heard Send Lawyers, Guns, and Money on the radio, they'd be transported back to that time and place? I think they would be. Okay, well, let's listen to it then. This is Send Lawyers, Guns, and Money by Warren Zavon from the 1978 album Excitable Boy.
0: Send Lawyers, Guns, and Money.
1: When was the last time you listened to that? Probably a couple of months ago. So it's still a song in your rotation. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: What else does Warren Zevon sing? Does he? You see the Werewolves of London yes, guy? Yes. I, I heard that. <laughs> yes, yes, and in fact,
0: uh, in those uh, strange days when the uh, when Minnesota elected a professional wrestler as governor of the state of Minnesota. Uh, he threw uh, a, uh, an inauguration party at the, the Target Center, which was a concert venue, um, and he brought Warren Zivon in live for that, and he got on stage in a pro wrestler's boa, and uh sang along with Warren Zevon, So yeah, they, they it was it was part of our culture.
1: That was Jesse the Body Venture, right? Yeah, it was, right. We usually ask this at the end, but I'm gonna throw it in now. If you were a professional wrestler, Jim Hale, what song would you come in on?
0: Uh, send lawyers guns and money. <laughs> well, and it's not only that it's not only the lyric, it's a powerful song. And and, and one of the things that, that in the same way I used to play a big band music get hub- hyped up for a football game. Um, I-, I always thought that getting a deal done required an enormous amount of energy and patience. And we had deals that uh, came close to crashing. And we said, we're not going to let them die. And that kind of music in your head keeps you going.
1: Um you worked there for, what, 25 years? 25 years, like right then. on the nose. Um, how big was Target in the early days? I'm trying to remember when it first came to Fort Myers or when I first came across Target. I'm thinking it's the 90s probably. Well,
0: uh, yeah, it was uh, probably late 80s. And, in fact, there's a story of that. I, uh, my wife and I had uh, taken our daughter on a short cruise in the Caribbean. And then when we came back, I said, hey, Kristen, do you want to look at store sites? Because our research team is looking at locations for uh, store sites for Target. And she said, oh, that'd be great. And we went around, and then she looked, and finally she said, "Daddy, this is dirt. I said, that's what a site is. She said, no, I wanted to go shopping at a store.
1: <laughs> she so, thought you were going to take her on a tour of Target stores. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Huh. Do you have any other memories from your Target time that was associated with music over that arc? Not necessarily in your department, but I would think, you know, ad campaigns that had theme songs or anything like that.
0: Well, uh, the, the, the most notable is that, uh, like a lot of major corporations uh, Target had a box or a suite um, in uh, uh, in the Metrodome in Minneapolis oh. and another one in the suite at the Target Center and uh, uh, as a result, the uh, Target executives had access to uh, concert groups. That so you got to see some came. good
1: concerts in a nice luxury box.
0: Exactly and uh, not only that but at that point of time I was the only executive in the executive suite who was into rock and roll music and so uh, the you didn't see-
1: have to fight for tickets no i mean I I,
0: <laughs> I I i regularly got them they said you know i'd say this they'd say the stones are coming i want the tickets the grateful dead is coming on a three three uh band bill i wanted the tickets um, and so at my retirement party each of my kids got to speak and my older son said the thing i'm going to miss is the great concert tickets
1: yeah i bet you still miss them it kind of yeah. spoils you. The oh, few it, times, it The few times I've been able to see either a sporting event or a concert from that kind of environment, it's kind of like, I don't want to go down there and sit by my other people. But exactly. <laughs> when, when I retired, my wife said, just remember,
0: I'm not going to a concert ever again unless it's in a suite somewhere.
1: Do you have a peak concert experience that you can remember? Well, uh yeah, uh, yeah. So let me
0: mention uh, two. First, Sharon regarded the uh, the Garth Brooks concert we went to as the best concert. Where was that? She, that was at the uh, that was at the Target Center.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, but the one that's the most memorable is when the Grateful Dead, Tom Petty. Uh, and bob dylan did a triple bill holy cow yeah and uh he's got a little
1: chill yeah
0: well (laughs) and uh the box was rated for 12 people and over the course of the evening i had 33 people in and out of that suite including a son who drove in from uh the west coast with a bunch of his friends in a uh, tie-dyed minivan to see the concert
1: so you have a hippie son well, I got to. The, I, I, I got,
0: actually, he's a button down lawyer now, but back in the day, he spent a lot of time following the dead and introduced me to the music.
1: Huh. Do you play any dead with your musical we, group? Yeah, we now have uh,
0: 18 um, recording session CDs out over the last 19 years, and we try to get one or two dead tunes into every every recording What's session. What's your
1: favorite dead song to play?
0: Um. Well, we haven't played it yet, but Throwing Stones is my favorite dead song, and we haven't played it. We haven't recorded it yet.
1: Huh. Um, other than the t- shows that you got to see via the luxury box, did you ever travel to see concerts at all? No, we, no, we really didn't have to. Yeah, you guys just had them fed up yeah, to they, you. Yeah, they were, they were right there. Hmm. Did you see any concerts while you were in the D.C. area? Um no. We, uh, uh,
0: the Chief Justice, as I said, was a great sports fan. So we got to see uh, the team that used to be called the Redskins there and, uh, and the Washington Senators before they moved to Minnesota. So those, those are what we saw. I didn't see
1: concerts. Um, have you seen many musical theater or theater experiences? Is that part of your uh, life's routine? Yeah, we have done that for years and years
0: and years, and I continue doing that right here in, in Florida. Uh, what's the most recent one you've seen? Uh, the musical concert, I mean, musical production was "Come From Away" at Artist ah, Naples, yeah, and yeah. and I, I, it, it, I didn't know what to expect, and it was fabulous.
1: I uh, we interviewed the woman who the one of the, the the female pilot for American Airlines. Yep, she lives in Southwest Florida. Okay, and so we interviewed her on Gulf Coast Life because she told the whole story. That the whole thing is founded on. But yes. she was there, and it was so interesting. Yeah. Because when you tell somebody, we're going to write a musical about a bunch of people stuck in a small town in Canada in the days after 9-11, it's kind of like, huh? Yep. But I haven't heard anything but just raving reviews for it that is, show. It is good. I do get to
0: uh, local tribute bands from time to time. One very notable. Which is? Uh, the Seaside Bar in, uh, on Old 41 in, uh, I think it's still Bonita Springs was doing a Grateful Dead tribute night. Uh And I decided I'd go all by myself to see it um, and got there at 7.15 expecting an 8 o'clock show. And the waitress said, no, it's an 8.45 show. And the band didn't show up till 9.15. And so people were pretty revved by the time the show started. (laughs) I stayed through the first act, and then I went out and got in my minivan. And as I was starting to drive away, a very drunk deadhead opened up my back door and said, Take me to the Hilton Garden Inn. What'd you do? Took her to the Hilton Garden (laughs) Inn with her boyfriend.
1: (laughs) So you became an Uber.
0: (laughs) Yep, I did. And uh, I told that story to a couple people, and finally my golfing buddy said, Jim, you have to do a song about that. And so it is now getting some notoriety.
1: In what way? You mean you guys write original music as well as playing covers with your group?
0: Yeah. uh, I started after I got the harmonica in 84. Then in 85, it was our 25th wedding anniversary. And the first song that I worked on seriously was called Five Decades. It was about the five decades that I had lived so far and what happened during that period of time and what I'd learned from it. So it talked about the Vietnam era and about Watergate and that kind of thing. And I got the uh, the, the band we hired, you know, I paid for them so that they got to let me sing. And so I, I did it there. So, yeah, I've probably written and recorded something a little over a hundred songs.
1: Wow. Do you get them out into the world or are they just for you and your friends and family? Uh I decided early on that I wasn't going to go through the pain and
0: suffering of trying to get something uh, published, uh, and it, that wasn't a high priority. It's just, it, it's just fun. I enjoy doing it. Uh, they get a little um, play with, uh, with friends. I, I only tried once to get a song that I thought might be publishable um, uh, done, and Nashville wasn't interested, so I moved on.
1: It's like a nice hobby. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot less stressful if you don't even try to do what you're like what you're saying, much less. Have you ever played out? You know, it sounds like you said you're a session group, so you just get together and record. Have you yeah. ever done any live performance? Uh, well, every once in a while, uh,
0: pretty infrequently, but we have bands come and play to our, at our country club. Uh, and then last summer, uh, there was a band uh, at a fundraiser out in a great big uh, polo ground outside of Minneapolis. And uh, I joined them to play blues harp. Um, And uh, my grandkids um, uh, recorded it so that we've got a record of it. And then one of them pasted pasted it on Facebook and said, "Um, it's official, my papa is cooler than your papa. Uh, How many harmonicas do you have? Uh, Well, uh, I have one for almost every uh, different key. And so it's probably a dozen of them.
1: Do you have what? Explain how the, there's a kind of harmonica that is not just in a certain key, right? Yeah, that, that uh, it's. A I'm cr- very amateurish. About well, there there, <laughs> there are
0: two examples of that. The first is called a chromatic harmonica. Okay. And there's a button you push that to change the key. So it gives you two choices. It gives you it gives you well actually four because you by in out. Yeah, in is two choices. Out is two okay. choices. Um, and uh, it's not entirely true, but the gag is it's a little hard to play because it gets caught in my mustache. <laughs> uh, the
1: other is called a... I bet it does. <laughs> yeah.
0: The other is called a corncob harmonica, which was done back in the 20s and 30s, which was a, uh, a wooden pole or pipe that, that, that had four different harmonicas and four different keys uh, attached to it, and somebody gave me one of them, Uh, It was so old and so fragile I couldn't play it, Uh, so I donated it to the Musical Instrument Museum in Scottsdale, and I was there last month to see that it's on
1: display. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, it is time for your third song, Jim. Okay. What is it? Why is it? Tell us a story. Okay. Um, In April
0: of 2017, my wife said she had a little bit of a stomach ache and we probably ought to go to urgent care. And they took a picture of it and said, you have cancer. Um, defining moment. Um, she spent 17 days in the hospital, uh, having as much of it taken out as possible, and it was diagnosed as stage four cancer. So we knew it wasn't if it was when. Um, and she lived then for three and a half years after that, which was way more than the than the predicted time. And she was one tough lady. She uh, uh, she was determined to li- live life to the fullest. Um, she flew to Minnesota when everybody, including the doctors, say you're not well enough to fly. Uh, In January of 2019, the oncologist said, Sharon, I think I've done about all I can for you. Why don't you look at hospice? And instead, she booked a family trip to Tahiti instead. And uh, during that period of time, I discovered a song by Jason Isbell called If We Were Vampires. Now, for a guy my generation, how I would re- ever run into that song? Probably just listening to it on the air someplace. It really ought to be called "If We Were If We Were Immortal," and the uh, the point of the song was a very poignant song, saying uh, we have to realize we have a limited amount of time on Earth together, and if you're a couple, you may have. In the song, it says, you may have 40 years together, and then someday you'll be gone, or sometime I'll be gone. You know, a very sad song. Uh, But it struck me that that was true, that uh, we were going to have a limited amount of time together, uh, and that I should be sure that every day was a day we spent together. And uh, so that song had a uh, a lot of meaning for me.
1: Um, Have you listened to any other Jason Isbell?
0: I, a song. some. Some, yeah. You know, I, my grandkids try to
1: get me into stuff that's newer than Willie Nelson. He's got some really amazing songs yeah, I would yeah, yeah, he does. Um Well, would you like to listen to it? I'd love to. When was the last time you listened to it? Oh a week ago. Yeah. All right, this is Jim Hale's third song on today's episode of Free Song Stories. It's If We Were Vampires by Jason Isbell from his twenty seventeen album, The Nashville Sound. One day I'll be gone.
0: One day well, it's a sad song, but um, uh, and and you know I have to hold myself together when I talk about it. But but uh, it just reminds me of what an incredible life we had together. Um, we didn't get 40 years together; we were married for 60 years. And, I was
1: trying to do the math while yeah, we were listening, and yeah, I figured, we, I was figuring more than 50, 60. Yeah, years. we celebrated our uh, 60th wedding anniversary in her last year. Wow. Um, was she aware of that song? And the importance of it to you? Yeah, I, I I tried not to emphasize it to her
0: because you know she was the one that was going to be gone and I didn't want to press that. But yeah. she knew she knew about
1: it. Um have you ever seen Jason Isbell Live? No, I haven't. I'd love to. He came to Barbara B. Mann about five years ago and I went and saw him with my daughter as well, and it was he's like a force of nature. Yeah. And it was really funny because there was a fiddle player, female fiddle player, and they kept making eyes at each other. I was like, what's going on here? And then he introduced her halfway through, and it was his wife oh. who doesn't normally play with him. She was sitting in for that show. Oh, that's nice. It was really, really cool. Um, did you and Sharon's wife, did you and Sharon's musical tastes align? Um
0: Yes and no. There were uh, there were broad areas that we could agree on. She was a big fan of country western music, and and we could always agree on that. You know, Willie and Waylon and and uh, and and Chris and Johnny Cash were favorites of all of ours, uh, and we enjoyed that. She enjoyed a fair amount amount of uh, rock and roll. Uh, there were some dead tunes that she could tolerate, uh, and there were some points that we uh, diverged greatly. Um, I've always been a great jazz fan. Back in the day, I listened to Dave Brubeck and Miles Davis and, and uh, folks like that, Chico Hamilton particularly. She hated it, hated it. Uh, uh, my cousin once took us to a jazz concert in Minneapolis, and after the second number, she just went and stood out in
1: the hall until it was <laughs> over. So we didn't agree at all on that. Um, just real quick aside, uh, um, Dave Rubeck once sat right in that seat. Did he really? Yeah. yeah did he years he really? ago on Gulf Coast Live yeah, that he I, came I, in. I,
0: I think Blue Rondo a Turk is one of the greatest
1: pieces of jazz music ever done. Um, what song did you guys dance to at your wedding?
0: Uh, We didn't. We didn't have enough money to have even a DJ. Uh, We uh, got married in the church, and we went down to the church basement and... uh for uh, ten a person, they uh, put on a dinner for us, and uh, then we went off from there. So we didn't dance then.
1: You said you did dance with her. Did you guys, like, take dance lessons? Or where, where you know, besides a wedding, where does one dance?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, dances at Dartmouth, for example, uh-huh. and then uh, at the country club, and then we would uh, go to dances. And you hit a point in your life where everybody's kids are getting married, and so you get to go to the wedding dances. And so, yeah, we did a whole lot of
1: dancing over the years. Do you ever dance again to Blue Moon? Oh yeah, 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 a number of times. Yes. Do you ever dance around the house? Do you ever say Alexa, play Blue Moon? <laughs> uh, I
0: don't have Alexa, and, uh, and uh, no, we have uh, danced in the house, but not frequently. How many kids do you have? We have three kids, all married, six
1: grandkids. Did any of the kids bring home music that made you raise an eyebrow?
0: Um, no, uh,
1: only that I wanted to learn. I, I didn't
0: necessarily have to, to love all of it. And, um, and for example, I think I, I, li- I watched the whole halftime show of the Super Bowl, um, and I've never been into rap music, but I kind of liked it. Um, and and it's fun for me. They'll, they'll come and say, Papa, I want you to listen to Houndmouth. Um, or, uh, you know, I think you'd like Hayes Carroll or somebody like that. And I learn a lot from them. So I, I, I've never had them bring in something. I just say, get it out of here.
1: Mm. Uh, how do you listen to music these days? Uh, well, uh, it's
0: I like to think of it as up-to-date, but it's very old-fashioned. I like to... Uh, Buy or burn CDs and listen to them in the car because then I've got the sur- sound to myself. I've got nobody interrupting me to say anything, and so I try to.
1: Any especially new music, I test it out in the car. I'm the same way. I'm still burning CDs. I'm, we're we're on the same page okay. there. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you purchased music that had physical form? Are you buying CDs and then ripping them to make mix CDs, or you know, do you still buy music? That you can hold in your yeah, hand. Yeah,
0: well, you know, as much of a Target fan as I am, Amazon is a really easy way to buy the newest things that have come out. And so um, I've been rebuying some of the jazz albums that I had because when we moved out of Minnesota, there was between 1,000 and 1,500 uh, tapes, discs, um, uh, 33s, 45s, 78s that I just couldn't bring with me. So I've been repurchasing. Chico Hamilton, uh Miles Davis, Duke Ellington I saw live once in wow. uh, Iowa City.
1: Um do you listen to radio music in your car?
0: Um Not a lot. Uh, uh, You mean like a a radio rock
1: station? Yes, exactly. Something other than 90.1 or 91.7. Well, no. (laughs) Okay, I listen to them. Um, But I I, I don't because so uh, so
0: often DJs get so uh, wrapped up in the fact that they're funny and they're cute and people want to hear them talking honestly. I don't. I, I want to hear music. And so I either have a CD or a Sirius radio on uh, on in my car all the time. What brought you
1: to this part of Florida? Uh, the weather. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, well. Well, but all of Florida has the weather. What about this part? Well, um, it, it, it's a
0: medium-length story, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Sure. Uh, uh, we started thinking about... Uh, a a getaway place well before I retired and at that time people in Minnesota either went to Arizona or Florida and we said, well, we've got an interest in the West and in Western art and we bought a place in Scottsdale and thought that was going to be perfect until I actually retired and found out it's really, really cold there in January and February and that's not what I was getting away from Minnesota from. So uh, Sharon said, well, let's go take a look in Florida and Uh, Minnesotans tend to gravitate toward southwest
1: Florida. So we looked here, and this this looked perfect. This is the best part of Florida. Uh, Of course it is. I tell people that. Yeah, it is. Um, Were you involved in public radio in Minnesota like you are here, or was that something that came about once you got here?
0: Uh, No, but it's because I was involved in public television in St. Paul. I was actively involved in the board there. Uh, and became board chair uh, before I finished my tenure uh, there and uh, got to know, I, I was involved in the hiring of the GM who was then there for 25 years. He became one of the session players and one of the best guitarist vocalists. And uh, he came down to do some recording in my living room and he said, hey, would you like to go over and see the local station and I'll introduce you to the
1: GM? And um, that's how it happened. Hmm. And so, when you got down here, was it a no-brainer for you to reach out and start becoming involved? Well, you know, it wasn't. Uh, um, it, 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 it was.
0: A, it, it was a little more than a no-brainer. What I had to do was to figure out where do I want to spend my time. And I was involved in several um, other nonprofit activities, but this one has such a great re- re- reach into Southwest Florida. Uh, I concluded I'll spend my time here. Um, and uh, pretty much to the exclusion of other things. So that's where I'm spending my volunteer time,
1: here. Minnesota is known for its public radio. Yes, Really is. good public radio. Yes. Yep. When you first got here and you first found us, what were your first impressions of WGCU? Um, I didn't know a single thing about them. I had to come over. how we and, sound? And, yeah, <laughs> I, had to, I had
0: to come over and meet them and see them and... and uh, Um, and focus on the radio side and on the television side and go through the laborious process of getting Passport downloaded so I could watch it all on my own time and uh, fell in love with it.
1: Huh? Okay, we're going to do a little speed round here as we start arching toward a dismount. Okay. Do you have a nickname, Jim, that has stuck over the course of your life?
0: Well, fortunately, the only one that really stuck is Jim, because uh, some wagon <laughs> You're a James? Uh, well, it is James when okay. I'm a Jim, but the the one that, thank God, didn't stick in, in grade school was Hailhead. Hailhead.
1: Yeah, yeah. you didn't want you, I did not yeah, want, you that want that one. You um, don't want that one. Karaoke? You're a singer, at least sometimes. Do you, yeah. Have I, you done karaoke over the years? Uh, last month in Scottsdale. Oh, Okay. Uh, I have a specialty. Johnny Cash is
0: a boy named Sue. doesn't involve so much actual singing, but I've got it down pretty cold.
1: It's a huh. great song. That is a great song. Yeah. I mean, so you've done karaoke more than that, you know, over the years. It's, yeah, it's, I have. I huh. have. Yep. Do you and, you and Sharon ever do karaoke together? Uh, she runs away from she, she... it like the plague. <laughs> it's one or the other. So you yep. guys were bifurcated that yep. way. Yep. Um, okay, we've already asked the championship wrestler song question. Um if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind that was a distilled Jim Hale, like uh, your essence in a drink, what would it be?
0: Uh, Canadian Manhattan.
1: Canadian Manhattan. So a Manhattan made with okay. Canadian whiskey. Right.
0: What kind? Black velvet? Uh, no, the cheapest thing you can yeah, find. That's, oh,
1: that's that's pretty cheap. Now, well, no. <laughs> $17 uh, there's dollars cheaper. For, for now, if you're
0: from Minnesota, you drink Windsor Canadian. Windsor. Yeah. Yep. yeah it's hard to find here, but. <laughs> Uh, that was our that was our signature drink for the two of us for fifty
1: years. Huh. Um, if you had to guess, what song would you think you've listened to the most times in your life? Uh, Chuck Berry's "Johnny Be Good." Okay, that was an easy answer. Um, if you do, you have any TV theme songs that you know the lyric or the words to that you would uh, sing along with us to? Um.
0: Well oh, the simple answer is no I listen to a lot of TV uh uh theme songs I I was particularly uh hooked on Rawhide back in the day um but that was more bump bump, a bump rather than actual
1: lyrics Okay without that Okay well that was close enough um song you wish you could hear again for the first time
0: Blue Yeah
1: Album you wish you could hear again for the first time? Uh, Buddy Holly's Greatest Hits. Um, overplayed song of all time. Most overplayed song. Uh, Stairway to Heaven. You're good at this speed round stuff. Um, are there any songs that you'll avoid listening to because you don't want to be you know have a memory revived or some association with it? Nope, none. Any genres of music you'll avoid listening to? I don't listen to gangster rap. Okay. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which song would you choose?
0: Uh, Blue eyes crying in the rain.
1: That'd be a good choice. Um, any albums that you really, really love in their entirety that you would never st- skip a track on? Uh, yeah, this goes way back. But after seeing uh,
0: Duke Ellington in uh, Iowa back in the day, uh. He uh, put out an incredible album called "Such Sweet Thunder," and every track was based on uh, a passage from a Shakespeare play. Um, and showed what a uh, what a genius Duke Ellington was. And I thought huh. every
1: track on that was fabulous. Huh? Is there a best album of all time in your opinion?
0: <sighs> Probably not, but. Uh, uh, uh the grateful dead's reckoning album is one of my favorite
1: would the grateful dead be your favorite band it's come up quite a bit or or what would you how would you characterize favorite yeah band? it's a
0: favorite jam band um i i i'd put uh, uh i would put both buddy holly and um uh, uh, chuck, uh chuck berry right up there with them have you listened to any fish uh yeah um uh, uh my son is a great uh uh jam band so we went from uh grateful dead into fish um, and he's got me listening to string cheese incident mm-hmm. and recently he went to a concert of a group called goose uh, no goose and so i listened to some of that and he admitted that's the first time ever that uh, the the jams have gone longer than he could
1: stand huh. how about dave matthews band Yeah, I heard him once live
0: at the uh, Olympics in 2002 in Salt Lake City, and I like them. I've heard a couple of his tracks just yesterday on on, uh, Sirius Radio on on the Jimmy Buffett uh, station.
1: Oh, yeah, it seems like that would fit right into your wheelhouse there. Um, Do you have a fourth song that almost made it to your list?
0: Uh, Sure, Uh, Not Fade Away. First by Buddy Holly and second by The Grateful Dead. What would be the short version of the reason why that was your fourth song? Um, it just got such an incredible beat to it. I mean, Buddy Holly created that signature beat. Um, and and uh, one, one of the reasons I, uh, it's so exciting to see it played live in concert on a really hot dead concert they would just stop playing, and the and the crowd would take it for ten more minutes after that. And that's pretty exciting stuff.
1: When we asked you to do this, were the song choices immediately springing to mind, or did you have to sit down and be reflective? Well, I, first of all, I had to think
0: about okay, there's about fifteen thousand songs I could choose from, and "Blue Eyes Crying to the Rain" in the rain came immediately to me, uh, but like Daughter is a is a, a great sounding board on things, and she suggested lawyers, guns, and money. And I and uh, Jason Isbell came to me myself.
1: Hmm. What would your fourteen year old self think of who you are here with us today? Um, I hope he would say. Uh, you eventually got over
0: being so serious about yourself as a lawyer and cut loose and started playing music and harmonica and really listening to music, so good job.
1: Would uh, You had not considered law at that point in your career. Would your 14-year-old self have been surprised that you wound up being a lawyer? No. No?
0: No. I, I think uh, in a, a kismet, I guess,
1: but I, I think I was destined for it. Huh. Um, okay. Well, it is time for you to recommend your three people. Okay, that you're going to share this with that we will try to get on. Okay,
0: uh, okay. So uh, Mike Peterson, uh, great guitarist and, and vocalist, Raymond Rogers, terrific uh, keyboardist, and Fred Delessio, one of the best uh, uh, blues guitarists
1: I've ever heard. Are those the guys that you play with? Uh, yes, all of them. Uh, when are you going to be playing again together? I don't know. We haven't got anything scheduled right now. Okay. we'll get something scheduled so you can tell them about this. Well, I'll tell them all way before that. Okay, cool. Well, that is all the time. You've done it. Do you have any final thoughts to leave us with? No, just this is a lot of fun. Well, we appreciate you coming and doing it. Thanks, Mike. In we make three-song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffis is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to Jim Hale and Friends with Jim on the blues harmonica, bringing us some blue eyes Crying in the rain I am Time on Three Song Stories. Like if a supermodel or a Miss America just really let herself go.